0: It's obviously the fall of Adam, and there's two words there. Um, I I always remember this because it was one of the questions I missed. So for my ordination, I think it was 168 questions. I think I missed two. This was one of them. And so I, I, when we talk about the guilt which is imputed to us, it's reckoned to us, it's forensic, it's legal, guilty sentence. So in Adam's fall we sinned all, and that guilty, failure, Sentence is imputed to us legally. But the other thing that I missed was the conveyance of corruption through ordinary generation. That's why we have broken bodies and I lose my teeth and all of those kind of things. That corruption is conveyed to us through ordinary generation. That's the distinction. Guilty sentence, death for sin, imputed, and the other uh, conveyed within um, our bodies. Okay, what are we doing? Acts 20, 21, excuse me, one. Acts 21. We are flying through this book. This is Sermon 82, and we'll see where we get to when we finish. What are the 28 chapters in this book? Um, so we're in 21, and actually I'm, I actually am flying through this particular section. There's legitimately two sermons in the section I'm going to take, but I think I'm going to take it under one head. But 27 through 40 is what I'll read of chapter 21. Hear the holy word of our holy and perfect God. When the seven days were almost over, the Jews from Asia, upon seeing him, that's Paul, in the temple, began to stir up all the crowd and lay hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, come to our aid. This is the man who preaches to all men everywhere against our people and the law in this place. Besides, he's even brought Greeks into the temple and defiled this holy place. They had previously seen Tromphimus, the Ephesian, in the city with him, and they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. Then all the city was provoked. The people rushed together, taking hold of Paul. They dragged him out of the temple, and immediately the doors were shut. While they were seeking to kill him, a report came up to the commander of the Roman cohort with all Jerusalem, when all Jerusalem was in confusion. At once, he took along some soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. When they saw the commander and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Then the commander came up and took hold of him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. He began asking who he was and what he had done. But among the crowd, some were shouting one thing and some another. And when he could not find out the facts because of the uproar, he ordered him to be brought into the barracks. When he got to the stairs, he was carried by the soldiers because of the the violence of the mob. For the multitude of the people kept following after them, shouting away with him. As Paul was about to be brought into the barracks, he said to the commander, May I say something to you? And he said, Do you know Greek? Then you are not the Egyptian who some time ago stirred up a revolt and led the 4,000 men of the assassins out into the wilderness. But Paul said, I am a Jew of Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no insignificant city, and I beg you, allow me to speak to the people. When he had given him permission, Paul, standing on the stairs, motioned to the people with his hand. And when there was a great hush, he spoke to them in the Hebrew dialect. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you so much for your word. It is a light and a lamp unto our path. We see our failure in the law. We see our hope in the gospel. And I pray, Lord God, that I would proclaim properly both, That you would be glorified, your people would be built up, and the lost would be brought in. We pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. What I want to do is, just with this particular passage, is kind of what I do generally looking at a passage. I, I like to go from macro to micro. I like to get the big picture view of what's going on, and then maybe to extrapolate on some of the particulars. And there's a lot here. I'm not sure if I'll get through all of my sermon, but the the primary doctrine that we're looking at, the main teaching that we're seeing in this passage is not difficult to find, is a very common one. And we've seen this particular painful truth of um, not just Paul being arrested and abused, uh, but other servants of Christ being abused for Christ's sake. We've seen this many times before in the book of Acts. The book of Acts is God's record of the gospel work of Christ's servants. We've seen um, Paul and other servants suffering for their service uh, to the Lord Jesus Christ. And what we find by this, by the repetition, is what we are looking at is to be normative in the life of the Christian. And when Paul is being assaulted by the Jews, they're trying to kill him, and then he'll be arrested by the Gentiles, we're seeing the words of the Lord Jesus Christ fulfilled for his people. Jesus is in Matthew chapter 10 concerning his people, particularly his heralds. You remember last week we talked about more obscure servants and then more prominent servants. Here we're looking at some of the particular difficulties of a more prominent servant. Jesus says, I send you out as one kind of animal in the presence of other kind of animals. And do you remember what that was? I send you out as sheep among the wolves. The Apostle Paul talks about in one of my favorite sections in Romans chapter uh, 8, towards the end, 32 to the end, it, nothing will separate us from the love of God in Christ. That's my favorite part. But within that part, he says all day long we are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. So what we're looking at, again, just in a big picture view of Paul being abused and attempted to be murdered and then his arrest and alter- ultimately his his, his beheading for Christ's sake is the words of the Lord Jesus Christ coming to pass. When God in Christ, or God the Holy Spirit, promises something, whether it's something difficult or something pleasurable, the word of God is the word of God. Everything comes to pass. So those difficulties that Christ says will occur in the life of a believer, they will occur in the life of the believer. There's no way to get around them. But all of the felicities, the Glories, the blessings, the pleasures that are ours in Christ Jesus, those equally come true. And so, what we're looking at is given the nature of sheep and wolves, it is the nature of a wolf to try to devour the sheep. That's what's going on with uh, Paul. And you remember, Jesus says in John chapter 15, none of what I'm saying, I, I kind of feel bad. My Sunday school was an incredibly heavy Sunday school, and this particular sermon in God's providence, is a particularly heavy sermon. (laughs) And what we read liturgically from chapter 6, the fall of Adam and then sin, is a particularly heavy truth. But again, I didn't write the Bible. But uh, I hope to handle it properly. When we look at what's going on here, Jesus Christ says to inform us, not to depress us, in John chapter 15, as they treated our Savior, so they will treat what? Us. As they treat the master, they're going, to serve the, they're going to treat the servants of the master. I'm going to say something, and you're going to think, did they send you to seminary for this? We want our money back. The Christian religion is about Christ. We live for Christ. We promote Christ. We worship Christ. We're going to live with Christ. If you take away Jesus Christ, his person, his work, particularly his atoning work, his cross work, and you take it away from a church, you no longer have a Christian church. And I'm not, you can go to churches right now, they will not mention the name Jesus. No Jesus, no Christ. I've heard many prayers in many venues, Christless prayers, Christless, crossless prayers. And what you have then is an expression of moralism. Moralism is be good. God wants us to be good, be nice. Beloved, we are this. We are the people trying to abuse and murder the Apostle Paul. Left to ourselves, we, that's why I had us read chapter 6, we left to ourselves, apart from Jesus, to quote uh, George Whitfield, we are half wolf and half devil. That's who we are. Our fundamental need is not a good teacher. Our fundamental need is an atoner, That's this. Take away Christ. Take away the offense of the cross. Galatians 6, you don't have a church. So they're attacking Paul because he loves Christ and he's joined to Christ. So the abuse that we're looking at for the servant is because we are organically, vitally, spiritually united to Jesus. We are the walking aroma of Jesus Christ. And that's what will attract or repel people that we come into contact with. Does that make sense? And so we are looking at the treatment of how they treated our Lord, but we treated it. I think Matthew Henry says something to the extent of, why do we, and we do this, why do we as Christians think that our lives should be easier and more pleasant than our Jesus? We do. If Jesus is the man of sorrows, and he goes to heaven via the Via Della Rosa, the way of sorrow. Why do we think we have to go to heaven on a bed of roses? This doesn't discount the goodness and the kindness and the gentleness as ours in Christ Jesus. But this, this clearly is a repeated theme through the book of Acts. And God means to inculcate in us the particular lesson. Now, The particular opposers and abusers of Christ's servant in this particular passage are the Jews. And then he'll be arrested by the Gentiles. In God's providence, he's actually going to have the Gentiles save Paul. But I I, want to point something out. Jesus tells us that we are to expect the treatment that he receives by the better part of the world. But I'm going to add this as well. We should expect to receive from the church... The way that Jesus Christ was treated by the better part of the church. And when I say church, I mean the household of faith. Jesus actually had two kinds of trials. The Apostle Paul, likewise, is very similar. John Stott, I know people don't like some things with John Stott. I love John John Stott, and I know his annihilationism late in life. I I get that. But he he notes the similarities between the path of Jesus and the path of, of the Apostle Paul as a servant of Jesus. Jesus was tried by the Jewish church, and Jesus was tried by the Gentile state. Jesus was condemned to die by the Jewish church. Jesus was condemned to die by the Gentile state. Same idea. Jews hating Christ, Gentiles hating Christ. In our passage, Jews hating the servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, Gentiles hating the servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm going to say something here. Sometimes we think, well, ethnically, culturally, so-called racially, People morally and religiously are, they're just so different. White people religiously are different than brown people religiously, or yellow people are different morally or religiously than other kind of people. Oh no, that's not true. That's not true at all. Unconverted Jews will kill a Jew. Unconverted Gentiles will kill a Gentile. It it is not those outward distinctions that makes any kind of religious or spiritual distinction. It's What? If you are born again, in Jesus we're new creatures. So Jesus has hated Jews and Gentiles. Paul has hated Jews and Gentiles. Religiously and morally, it doesn't matter what you are, where you were raised. If I go to Ireland and talk to unconverted Irish people, religiously, they're wolves and devils. If I go to India or Africa or China and talk to an unconverted Indian, Chinese person or African person, religiously, they're this. Beloved, sometimes we put far too much important on those other things, and that's not the most important thing. It's are we born again or not. It shows us the universality of unbelief. And as I say in our passage, again, looking in a macro view The particular enemies of Christ's servant here are the Jews. Now, as I say that, and in the context in which I'm preaching and in which I'm I'm living according to God's providence, is that sinful anti-Semitism for me to say in this passage the primary abusers of Christ's servant are Jews? Is that sinful anti-Semitism? I didn't write the Bible. God the Holy Spirit records when the Jews condemn Christ to die. God the Holy Spirit can records when the Gentiles condemn Christ to die. God the Holy Spirit can records when the Jews want to kill their fellow Jew, Paul. Why? Because he loves Christ. It's not a religious, it's, it's not a racial war. It's not a cultural war. It's a religious war. This passage is a spiritual warfare passage. And it's not this. It's it's in here. Do we have Christ inwardly? So this is an aspect of spiritual warfare. The particular opposers, as I say, are Jews. The Bible says, Jesus Christ came to his own. Is this John chapter 1? Jesus Christ came to his own, and his own knew him what? Finish. Not. 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 Read Hebrews 3, Hebrews chapter 4. The better part of Israel that came out of, the, came out of bondage and wandered through the wilderness, the better part of them, the better part of them. God said to the almost, the, well, except for two military-aged men, Caleb and Joshua, the whole lot of you are going to die in the wilderness. And God says, I swore in my wrath you would not enter my rest. Beloved, God has discipline on believers. He only has wrath on unbelievers. And what does that mean? That means the better part of the Israelitish church in the wilderness, at least the military men, they're unconverted. They had no faith. That's why God the Holy Spirit tells us in Hebrews 3 and Hebrews 4, but brothers, beware of the evil heart of unbelief. In here, the household of faith. I say it all the time so much you probably want to assault me like the Apostle Paul. Being in the household of faith doesn't mean we have saving faith. Being in the church is not the same thing as being in Jesus Christ. These people that wanted to kill Christ's servant were in the household of faith. They did not have faith. Read 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 14 It's a very frightening thing. But here we have the particular opposition to Christ's servants by the Jews. I'm going to read Acts 4, where the Holy Spirit will attribute the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ to the Jews. I know the Gentiles actually killed them, but the Holy Spirit will attribute, will will put the culpability for the crucifixion of Jesus on the Jews. And the Jews themselves say in the book of Matthew, his blood be on us, our heads, and the heads of what? Thank you very much. They are covenantal people and they pronounced a covenantal curse. Acts 4.8, Peter filled with the Holy Spirit said to them, the Jews, rulers and elders of the people, if we are on trial today for the benefit done to a sick man as to how this is done, how this has been made well, how he's been made well, let it be known to you and all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name this man stands here before you in good health. He is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, by which the chief, he became the chief cornerstone There is salvation in no one else. There's no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. And so he's hated here by his fellow countrymen that Paul loves so much. Sometimes we think, my people, my family, my nation. When you are converted to the Lord Jesus Christ your prior family, your prior people, your prior nation, if they remain unconverted, they are wolves and devils against you. It's this. And Paul knew this was going to happen to him by the people he loved. Why did he know it experimentally? That if he goes and preaches Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. No one goes to the Father by their good works, only by the blood of the Lamb. Why did he know that he would almost certainly face death why these people? Why? Such were some of you. This was him. This was the Apostle Paul. This is a Philippians 3:1 through14. Paul was this. Paul tried to crush the Church of Jesus Christ. Paul hated Christ when he was a Pharisee. People that are trying to earn their way into heaven by their own righteous works, they hate that. They hate the cross. What does the cross do? It says you're a wolf and a devil. And you can't can't stand in the presence of a holy God. And it's only the blood of Christ that washes your sins away. And the man that is not humbled by the Holy Spirit and born again by the Holy Spirit, no way. No way. Someone will win and someone will lose. And they're trying to kill the dispenser of Christ's gospel because they think they're, they're righteous. Paul knew this. And he still went. He still went anyways. And it was almost certain death for him. And the Holy Spirit tells him earlier, every time I send you out, Paul, this is what awaits you as my gospel herald. Which is what? You're going to be abused. Sometimes people think, well, I can't wait to be a minister because it's just so, everyone calls you reverend and I don't know it's just I don't know it's just incredible it is incredible in one way you have the privilege of telling people there's hope in Christ that is incredible the Puritans would consider it the highest privilege in the world but it's not it's not easy squeezy and in this particular time in history it almost meant a death sentence and Paul went anyways because he loved Christ and he loved people and even to suffer at the hands of his former countrymen, former family. Well, that's the call. I mean, when you look at this, not only does it say we're in a spiritual warfare, there is no cost to our salvation that we pay. Christ pays that. He's the grounds of our justification. Faith is the conduit by which we receive Jesus. But I'll tell you this, there's a cost to discipleship. Pick up your cross and follow me. Suffer enmity and opposition by people that you love, people that look like you, people of your nation, people of your family, because they're unconverted and you're converted. That's what's going on. Now, why would I say this? Is this something that will ordinarily grow churches exceedingly large, if I tell this to people? <laughs> the reason I'm saying this is because it's the content of this passage, and I'm going to give an account for what I preach to you on when I die. I'm, I am culpable for what I preach and teach to Jesus. That's why. Now, when we look at the Apostle Paul and all of the suffering and the, the assaults that he undergoes, the, the Puritans would say that we exist in the school of Christ. This is the school of Christ. And all of life is class time. In one of the classes in which God the Holy Spirit sends us that is one of the most effective classes for us to be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ is suffering. It's this. The the assaults, the arrests, the opposition, the abuse, even the death. This is class time for the servant of the Lord Jesus Christ for us to grow in our love of Christ our serviceability to Christ, our love of other people, our usefulness to other people, it's this. We think according to our flesh, I think this. Oh Lord, make me very, very healthy. I would be a better Christian if I was super healthy and had no aches and pains. And make sure I never have to suffer any lack financially and everything goes swimmingly with my wife and my kids and my grandkids. No problems, Lord. I'll be the best Christian. No you won't, no you won't. The best classroom for us is this, why? Lord Jesus Christ help me, Holy Spirit fill me. We don't want to toy or play with sin anymore. We become more heavenly, we become less worldly. We become more useful. This is the way that we quit quit fooling around with the world and we do real business with the gospel talent of Jesus Christ. I want to point out something with all of the abuse that's heaped on the Apostle Paul as a servant of Jesus here, even to the point of almost dying. I want to put that in contrast with what he's just gone through in the earlier passage. In the earlier passage, he and the Christian Gentile Christians are coming to meet Jewish Christians in the Jerusalem church. He meets, him, he meets uh, James and the Jewish uh, elders in the church in Jerusalem. And each group respectively refers to each other as brothers. Gentiles who believe that Jesus is the Christ, the, the Savior of sins, they're members of the household of faith. Jews that believe Jesus is the Christ, the way, the truth, the life, the only way to the Father, they are members of the household of faith. It's Christ that makes us the family. It's the faith that binds us together. Black, white, it doesn't matter. Any of it. If we love Christ, we are family. And so the Apostle Paul and all of these Christians enjoyed this sweet, sweet communion. So I could say this. In our passage this morning, we have some hard days. These are hard plowing. Hard days, afflictive day, providences, as the Puritans, Puritans would say. But earlier, they had wonderfully sweet, kind, easier days. And we're taught something. Some Christians think they're Job. And they think all of their life is Job without a glimmer of any kind or easy or gentle days. Right? And I'm not, I, am, I don't know your cross. And I'm not making light of anybody's cross here. I, I, I promise I'm not. We're not Job. And we're not Christ. Only Christ was the man of sorrows. Only Christ could say from the time he came out of the womb of the Virgin Mary to the time he went to the cross. It was his whole estate of humiliation. Only Christ was the perfectly holy one to suffer the indignities and the sorrows of sins for his people. I'm saying that for this. When we come to the assaults and the arrests and the sufferings, they don't do away with the fact that God has given us kind days, gentle days, Days filled with pleasure beyond number. And I think if we were honest, if we are honest and truthful, does God in Christ give you more harder days or more gentle, gentle, and pleasurable? What? Quantify them. Be honest. And then another thing that we learn in relationship to that, our text tells us seven days later, seven days later, after the beautiful time of sweet days, Came what? Hard days. Charles Stanley, a guy I don't quote often, he's in heaven now. I think he had a, a wonderful ministry. I know he's not a Calvinist. I know all that. But he said this. He was a guy I watched early on as a believer. He said, the Christian life is this. You're either in a storm, you're coming out of a storm, or you're getting ready to go into a storm. <laughs> Charles Stanley, I don't care what do you call him baptist armenian he's just he he's not an armenian anymore he never really was um that's right that's this beautiful sweet days of fellowship and now you're being assaulted and we're being taught principally this by god the holy spirit we are to live in the school of jesus christ expecting things to change expecting our, our external circumstances to change we live in a highly changeable world. Is that not right? And we live in bodies that are constantly decaying. Read Psalm 90. Count your days because they're few. <laughs> and things falling apart. And you're going home. And we're to live with that kind of a posture. Again, not meant to depress us. We don't do anybody any favors, both in the pulpit and in our homes. If, let's say we were parents and we have a child and we say to our son or our daughter, son, daughter, Life is easy-squeezy. It's only going to be high-top, mountain-top, and things are not going to change and get bad. Are you going to prepare your son or your daughter to live life for Christ? No. What do we tell them? Enjoy the good times. Enjoy the easy times. Enjoy the, the, the kind times. But prepare yourself for these times. And how do we prepare ourselves for what Paul was going through? We daily live in the Word of God. We daily commune with God in prayer. We daily practice self-denial. We daily practice obedience. We daily live setting our minds on things above and not below. That's this. That's what's going on here, again, in this macro level. And now when we come to the abuse of the Apostle Paul, there's a misrepresentation of the Apostle Paul by uh, the Jews. So we're told earlier that some of the Jewish Christians had some problems with Paul. And in the particular instance that we're looking at, these are the unbelieving Jews that have a problem with the Apostle Paul. And this is what they said earlier, that he taught Jews who lived among the Gentiles not to obey the law of God, either the law of Moses' moral or the ceremonial law, that they accused Paul of telling Jews not to circumcise their children. They accused Paul of uh, not teaching Jews to walk according to the customs of Jews, ethos. So not scriptural prohibitions. Was it true that the Apostle Paul taught that the law, the moral law, did not save? Yes, because the moral law doesn't save. But what they're getting at is they're saying, well, he's telling us that the ceremonial law doesn't save. The Jerusalem council already dealt with this in in, uh, Acts chapter 15. Salvation is not believe in Jesus plus keep the law of God, or salvation is believe in Jesus plus get circumcised. That's anathema. So he did say these things. But Jesus never told the Jews not to to circumcise their children. He never told them not to, to keep being Jews. And look at what's going on. This man speaks against the law of Moses while he's following a Nazarite vow. This guy speaks against the the people of the Jews while he says elsewhere, I'd give up my own own salvation for the Jews. What's that? They're bearing false witness. Beloved, when we're being opposed for, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake, it's oftentimes not according to factual accuracy. They're accusing him wrongly. Jesus Christ said, they hated me without what? cause just cause so here they're saying paul you are just you hate us jews and you brought this gentile into a place that the gentiles are not allowed and we're going to kill you and that was not true that's not true they said jesus broke the law of moses jesus uh was a drunkard jesus was a, a sabbath breaker none of those things are true and we're going to kill you because we're so concerned for the law of God. We, we need to see this. When we look at how we are going to suffer for Jesus, it's not according to. Now, can we as individual Christians do sinful things to incur the opposition of an unbeliever? Sure. Can the church corporately do things that incur the opposition by an unbeliever? Yes. And I will say this. No extra charge for this. It is so cheap to me. And it's easy. It's easy to point out the blemishes of of a Christian or the Christian church. You you never point to the goodness. You never point to the sweetness. And what we're looking at here is these men, Paul in particular, he's being misrepresented. While he's trying to do good, he's being maligned. And they're trying to kill him. Beloved, I, I, I say all the time, particularly to young men when they're contemplating doing things which they shouldn't do, I tell them, if you do the sin that you're going to do, you're not going to find pleasure at the end of it. You're going to find pain at the end of it. And when you say to the devil, you promised me pleasure by this thing, he's going to say, yes, I lied to you. Because that's what I do. I'm a liar. That's this. Don't expect the world or the worldling in the church to treat you according to what is factually true. They're under the power. Remember, we're half wolves. And half-devil's unconverted under the power of the devil. That's the unconverted. They will lie to kill you. And the devil not only is a liar, he's what else? He's a murderer. Jesus Christ, in the very zenith of his doing good, which is dying on the cross, what are they doing? They're heaping abuse. They're heaping abuse. What's the common statement, Statement: no good deed goes on what? that's this here's the apostle paul he's trying to give away christ to bring people to jesus christ and they want to kill him and what will they say well the reason we want to kill him is we're so zealous for true religion the reason we want to kill him is because we're so zealous for the holy temple and i will say this the holy temple they're wanting to commit murder in the holy temple the Jews wouldn't go into the Gentile praetorium while they're planning to moral murder Jesus so they could keep the Passover feast. What do we call that, beloved? Hypocrisy. The worst kind of enemy, the worst kind of opposer of Christ and of Christ's people is a religious hypocrite. Because they will do it with the zeal of religion. I will kill you for my true religion because I'm so godly. Jesus says this in Luke 16. A time will come when they will kill you, Christian, and they'll say, it's my service to God. I had to kill them because I love God so much. That's this. So we, when we look and think, well, what's going on? Why are they doing this? Paul is laboring to bring them to Christ. It's, it's, these are the things that we find here in our passage. And I'm going to close with this. Look at verse 30. This is what I'm calling the chief end or the chief purpose on the assault of a servant of Jesus Christ. While they were seeking to do what to Paul? Unless God the Holy Spirit gives faith and evangelical or graced repentance. If the unconverted person remains the unconverted person, black, white, rich, poor, Jew, Gentile, this is what they want to do. They want to kill God, and they want to kill the servant of God. They want to kill Christ, and they want to kill the servant of Christ. Unconverted people are half wolves, half devils. And We show it here. And if the way that these things work with the opposition is we'll start off slight ordinarily and then it will build up. In the beginning, it was verbal abuse, and now it's physical assaults. And when you won't stop, particularly for the herald, the herald that is faithful to the gospel of Jesus Christ will be threatened. You better stop being faithful to Jesus. You better stop with that way, truth, and life business. You better stop with that blood business. Stop. Or else what? We're going to hurt you. Or else what? We're going to kill you. You see, this is the war. We have the lambs of the Lord Jesus Christ serving under the Lamb of God with a gospel of peace, and we are taking that gospel of peace out to what kind of people? These people. Because this is what we were before Christ forgave us. And we go out knowing that part of our giving Christ away is to a people not serving under the lamb. They're not called lambs. They are called wolves and dogs and they're serving under what entity? The dragon. And we're called to go. I want to read something to you. And let's see if you know where this came from. The body they may kill, God's truth abides still. This is what Luther said. This is this. Let goods and kindreds go, this mortal life also. The body they may kill, God's truth abides still his kingdom is forever beloved we're going to have thanksgiving next week and then the christmas and the holidays we all have families some of us have families that are unconverted and they don't they no longer love us the way that they used to love us because we now love christ and we're loved by christ beloved serve jesus christ even if the people of your own family oppose you because you love Christ. Serve Jesus Christ even if the people of your own nation oppose you because you love Jesus Christ. God in Christ has given you a whole new family. God in Christ has given you a whole new nation. Beloved, be faithful unto death serving the Lord Jesus Christ and he has promised you he will give you a crown of May God be pleased with the preaching of his word.